On our podcast, we talk a lot about what to learn as a developer, but today we're switching gears and talking about how to actually learn all of this information. We'll discuss the concept of metacognition or how we learn and retain information, as well as some strategies for making the process easier. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Are you a developer looking for your next challenge? Meet Shopify. They're on a mission to make commerce better for everyone, and they do things a bit differently. They don't tell you how to solve problems. They give you the tools, trust, and autonomy to build new solutions. They don't want you to work alone. They're structured so you can leverage the diverse perspectives across teams in everything you do. And they don't pretend to have all the answers. They're big enough for you to tackle problems at scale, but small enough for you to discover and solve new problems. If you're a builder at heart who wants to solve highly technical problems, if you want to take all of your life experiences and apply them to a blank canvas, or if you want to access really powerful tools, Shopify is the place for you. Visit shopify.com careers today. So I want to open this up by asking the question, what do we know about learning how to learn? I'm going to shoot this over to Allie first since Allie is our prized teacher in the podcast. So Allie, what do you know about learning how to learn? Yeah, this is something that I'm really interested in in order to make the education process more smooth. So I read a lot of books about this and also was an education minor in college before I left school. And so um, it's something that I've been interested for in for a long time and hopefully know at least a decent amount about. Um, Kelly, how about you? I know nothing. <laughs> Everything is fine. I know nothing. I just magically just learn things. There's no science behind it. I'm just kidding. Yes, there's absolutely science behind it. But I personally don't know anything about learning how to learn, which is why I'm really excited to learn from Allie in this you're, episode. Today, you're excited to learn how to learn how to learn. How to learn. Um, We're getting real meta here. I feel like I'm a hybrid of the two of you because I know some general things about how our brain forms synapses and like creates relationships for different neurons. Like I've learned a lot about as a baby, how we learn languages because I was learning German for a long time and um, how as you get older, you actually lose a lot of these synapses that you're not actively using. And so it's harder for your brain to learn new information and create new relationships the older we get. But as a baby, it's really, really easy. And that's why you see a lot of bilingual or trilingual children, especially in Europe. So I'm interested to learn a little bit more of the science of actually learning new information, especially as an adult, because I struggle with that personally. Um, yeah, I only know things about learning when you're really, really, really young, when you're like still associating objects with and grouping them. And if something, something doesn't fit within a certain group, then you have to create a new group to, uh, you know, associate that new object. And this is when you're like really, really, really young. So, I mean, this is the stuff that I learned in psychology from early childhood development. Not really useful here. <laughs> it's like the use it or lose it. Essentially, that's what it is. If you don't lose, if you don't access, like if we think about RAM, for example, like random access memory, like if we don't access these things often enough, we actually lose them. It'll garbage collect our memories <laughs> or our knowledge. So is my brain already trash. Yeah, I know way less about the childhood or early early childhood learning. I know more about like adult education because that's what I do. But this question kind of fits into one of the strategies for learning, which is 
wrestle first and then learn. So you're given kind of an open-ended question and you try to solve it or answer it. Like we're trying to answer what we know about learning how to learn. And then you actually have to fill in the pieces from there. So that's why I wanted to open up with this question. And so we're wrestling first with the topic, talking about what we know, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper. So also, what were your strategies when you were in school? I failed any class I had to memorize information for. Like, I didn't fail it, but I I legitimately came close to failing. Um, history was a big one because history is all about memorizing, although I wish I'd thought of it at the time more of storytelling. Uh, and likewise, biology. I always thought I wanted to be a doctor, and then I realized chemistry and biology is a lot of not all memorization, but to some extent, like I couldn't tell you what a mitochondria does. Right. Um, and so powerhouse of the cell. Okay. Well, Kelly, you just hold on. I am. That was rude. Okay. I don't, I, I failed biology. Um, no, it's fine. I, yeah. So any, any subject that I had to memorize information for, I did horribly, which is why I was so much better at computing because like you memorize certain foundational elements and then you abstract out different concepts based on those. So it was more analytical and deducing information versus memorizing. So that was my my methodology was avoid any subject that requires memorization and focus on the skills needed to like do deductive reasoning, I guess. That's so awesome. I'm kind of jealous of that, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like that that's a really important skill to have. Kelly, how about you? So I never really got much out of lectures. Like auditory learning doesn't really do much for me. Listening to audiobooks, I don't really retain much information. They're purely for like present time enjoyment. I'm really big on reading and writing. So if I'm uh, like reading from a textbook, I'm highlighting, I'm writing my notes. Every time I would study for a test, I would just rewrite my notes and I would remember where it was that I wrote something on the page and I'd be able to kind of pick from there to answer questions. That's what I did so, too. Like I would highlight and then I would write down those notes and then I would highlight my notes because it was repetition for me. Like I couldn't, uh, I like I said, I couldn't memorize. Although I, I want to quickly mention a book that I've been meaning to read because I want to improve my memorization skills, which is Moonwalking with Einstein. I believe it talks about the process of how do we actually memorize large chunks of information because I think in our short-term memory, we can only... I know this isn't fully learning, but to some extent, memorizing is learning for some people. And so, like, I think in our short-term memory, we can only keep six to eight items, I believe. And so this book talks about the the concept of actually memorizing information and how if you assign visuals to things and you walk through a process of, like, like actually visualizing, you need a sequence of numbers, picture, like, a living room and, and look through the living room and see all these different numbers sitting in different places. And it, that's how you would recall this information. So anyway, that's a cool book. I want to throw that in the show notes. I've been meaning to read it, uh, but in no way am I saying memorizing is the only form of learning. So Allie, please continue. That was a tangent. Yeah. So this is actually one of my big regrets from learning is I was like an obsessive straight A student. Like I was so obsessive about grades and making sure that I got good ones. I remember almost nothing from school, though. I was so focused on just like memorizing things for the sake of doing well and getting good grades and didn't really care about the actual learning behind anything. And I think that that is like a big regret for me is that if I had focused more on learning things, it would have served me better long term, even if my grades weren't as good. Um, So I did a lot of like color coded cheat sheets. Like we were talking about the colors helped me memorize things and um, having them all visualized for me. So taking different concepts and 
synthesizing them, that was a hard word, um, <laughs> together into cheat sheets was like really, really great strategy for me, but doesn't work super well long-term. So that's a big regret for me um, and something that I definitely want to dive into deeper in this episode, um, especially when you're learning programming. Memorizing things is not super important because you can always Google. Uh, the one exception to that is interviews, which we talk about. But for the most part, you're going to have these resources available to you. And so memorization isn't a super important skill for programming. It, it builds up for you over time and having that built up repository of knowledge is important, but um, immediate memorization is super unimportant for I think it's actually a downfall because at that point you're failing to understand the concepts behind things and you're just solely memorizing syntax for things, which memorizing some syntax is good to a certain extent, like array filter. How would that work um, in terms of like physically writing it out? But do you understand conceptually what's going on? Because memorizing does not equate to comprehension. And that's a big takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I want to go back to something that Kelly said where she was talking a little bit about um, her learning style. And so most people have some way that they prefer learning. So there are like visual learners, auditory learners, people who do well with reading and writing, kinesthetic learners, so people who um, learn well by using movement and things like that. Um, Any of you have like a preference on how you learn? Yeah, I only learn by jazzercise. Um, Amazing. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I guess that would be kinesthetic then, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, but I was joking. I I don't exercise. I avoid it. Um, I am a hybrid because I oscillate between visual learning, auditory learning, and reading and writing. So I have several subscriptions to different platforms, one being Friend and Masters, which is more of a college lecture style. Um, one being like I was subscribed to Tyler McGinnis and he does a really good job of oscillating through different mediums as well. Um, having a section with a video where he explains concepts, has graphics. The next section would be he writes it in long form blog post. And I think A, that repetition helps me personally, but also having that mixture of mediums because um, I don't get bored. <laughs> That's a big problem with if I stick to just video or just audio or just reading is I get bored or tired. So having that uh, variation in medium style is really how I learn. Yeah, I think that that's a really great observation. So most of the research actually says that having a preferred learning style is very normal and natural, but the idea that people learn best in that learning style that they most prefer The science really isn't there to back that up. So the whole focus, the whole hyper-focus on learning styles turns out to be actually kind of BS. Like you can prefer to learn in the style, but it doesn't actually, the science doesn't back up that you probably learn best in that style that you most prefer. Um, So most people actually learn best by having things repeated to them in multiple different styles so that they Mm. have it. It repeated, like you said, but also um, so that it sticks in different ways into their memory and their their um, linking of different information that they have. That's really interesting. I did not know that. I feel like that goes for several things in life, though. So, like, for example, if I'm trying to eat healthier or, like, live a healthier lifestyle, like, I might prefer to eat one specific style of diet, but that might not be what my body needs to be healthy, I guess. And so, like, I never thought about that as equating to learning, so that's 
it's a little that's disheartening Emma. to hear personally just because like if I prefer to learn in one way, like I wish that was the way that would be the most efficient. Um, so I'm kind of curious to delve more into these different learning styles. Well, thankfully, there is a nice link to an article in our uh, document here. So we'll include that link in the show notes as well. Yeah. And this has more about the research of learning styles and whether they're legitimate or not. So again, learning styles, you might have a preferred one, but it's actually best to look at the material multiple times in different ways. And most likely you're not actually learning the best in the way that you most prefer. To be honest, I think this really hit me hard when I studied abroad because the U.S. uh, educational system has a lot of flaws. I don't think any of us want to refute that statement, but it's very (laughs) much like for me, it was very handholding. Okay, like I had most of my classes had small assignments and you'd be graded on those assignments and then you'd get feedback and then you'd have exams on top of that. It's very handholdy. Um, when I studied in London, it was very much you, there was no attendance policy necessarily. You were expected to be independent and show up. Um, they had two grades the whole year, a midterm and a final exam. And if you failed them, you failed the course. And so like for me, um, this concept of cultural learning styles or cultural higher education is so interesting because different cultures, and I'm curious to know, Ali, if you know anything about how different cultures learn and which are more successful than others. Um, but the U.S., I do think, has a lot of issues when it comes to autonomy and independent learning. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really interesting segue. Um, I don't know too much about different cultures specifically, but I do know a lot about different learning strategies. And so we can kind of cast those into the different cultures. So the first one that I want to talk about is lectures. And so lectures, we've probably all been through those, especially all three of us, we went to college. So you sit in a room and have an instructor at the front of the room talking about something. They may use a chalkboard. They may have slides or something along those lines. But lectures are a really bad <laughs> way to learn. So I feel like you're just giving me an out for all those times I decided to skip class because it was useless. So I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Well, some classes are better than others, but lectures in general aren't a great way of learning. And for a lot of reasons. So just listening to something once isn't a great way to have something actually sink in. And most people learn best by actually doing the thing. So if we're learning programming, actually writing code, that's going to be the best way for you to learn. And so if you're just watching somebody else write code or you're hearing somebody conceptually talk about the idea of writing this code, that's not going to work super well. Like I remember some of Thanks for listening to our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's super true. Um, But I think we try to have that perspective on here to some extent. Um, That being said, like my computer science education, sometimes I had professors who just the whole entire class period would talk hypothetically about the code instead of actually showing code or having you write code. And so that's a pretty flawed way to teach something that's much better um, to teach by learning and doing. Uh, People also have super short attention spans and they're getting shorter because of the speed of access that people have to information. So attention spans right now are like 10 to 13 minutes long. So sometimes having some sort of lecture is 
necessary. You have to understand, explain the basis behind something or um, explain the underlying concept or link it to something that the students already know. But I like the idea of micro lectures where you're breaking that lecture time into like five to 13 minute chunks, really, really short. And then you're doing something else after that. So you're continuously breaking up the the structure of the learning so it's not just somebody talking at you the whole entire time well it's not just that too it's like in these big lecture halls which i had when i was in london but in albany it was like we had maybe 20 people in the class max so it wasn't that terrifying (laughs) but um often people are scared to ask questions like i'm that kind of person where i need to ask questions to clarify and if i'm in a big room full of people it's more nerve-wracking to ask questions. So that's part of the problem with lectures. But I also think, and we've talked about this before, um, and this does translate into academia, which is like, if you're not passionate about something, A, you're not going to teach it well, and B, your students aren't going to be excited about it either. And the problem with these big lectures is I feel like a lot of times professors get into these, um, like, cycles where they're they're just consistently teaching the same thing. They're not updating the curriculum. They're not getting over enthusiastic about the material. And it just, it makes you not very excited about it either. Yeah. Yeah. So I think from a learning perspective, if you're stuck in lectures and that's the way that you're presented with information, make sure that you take notes. And the same is true if you are trying to learn from books. The same thing kind of applies if most people's attention spans are pretty short and they don't learn incredibly well just by reading. So if you're in that type of situation, make sure that you're taking notes and uh, synthesizing your knowledge in some way so that you are having to notice it multiple times and recall that um, information. I, when I am lecturing from an instructional perspective or when I'm scaffolding lessons and creating them, I try to follow the format I do, we do, you all do, you do. So I do is the lecture portion where I'm explaining something, um, explaining the importance of something because especially adult learners, telling them why they need to learn a certain thing is super important. Like you're going to use this on the job or this is the basis behind everything else that we're going to do, giving them that context of they're not just learning useless information. That's really, really important. Um, And then also linking concepts to concepts that that they already have. Um, We'll come back to that, but that's one of the most important things to do with teaching is taking, is not teaching things in isolation, teaching how things relate to one another. Um, and then we do is everybody writes code together. So we do a code along. Normally I'm screen sharing. We're collaboratively writing this code. So I'm asking student, certain students like what code I should write next. Um, so that's the we do. Then you all do is group exercises. So students are working together. The weaker students can be helped by the stronger students who understand the information a little bit better. Um, and that also reinforces the stronger students' knowledge. It ends up being a really great tool for everybody to learn better. And then the last thing is independent work. So that's the you do. So try to scaffold up my lessons like this so that instead of just doing long lectures or me talking at people for hours on end, instead it's really scaffolded and chunked into smaller pieces of the lesson. Do you want to teach me every day? (laughs) That would be so fun. I love it. Um, So in terms of what 
like we mentioned in the intro, like we talk a lot about what to learn, but I think it's important to note that like you do not have to learn everything. I think this is something I struggled with in the beginning. You feel like you have to learn everything and there is a lot you have to learn, but I think we've talked about this concept of being T-shaped before and having, you know, a lot of horizontal knowledge. So a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. So for example, as a web developer, I understand HTML, CSS, JavaScript um, at a high level proficiently, but then I have my specialty. Like we all have our specialty where I feel like Kelly is a Shopify expert and Allie is a Python algorithm data structures expert. And I perhaps am a design systems expert. And so like find your niche uh, and you don't have to like force yourself to like something. Like I was working on accessibility for a while and I liked it enough, but it just wasn't my passion. I was I kept trying to push myself to like learn as much as I could, but I just wasn't interested in it as much as I should have been. So I think that's important is like, if you don't have to learn something, like you don't have to be an expert in it just for the hell of it, I guess. Yeah, agreed. I think especially a lot of new developers try to learn everything and get really bad shiny object syndrome. And I'm guilty of this as well, that there's so much out there that you want to learn, but that's not actually productive. Um, Going more in depth with something is usually a better strategy so that you can apply that knowledge to something else down the road. So turn on the blinders a little bit. Um, We're also recording our next episode, which is about web developer learning paths. So we'll go deeper on this then. But I'll also say that there are different paths for everybody, no real right answer for what exactly to learn. So that's an important piece of perspective as well. It's also useful that there are a lot of people in there, especially this development community, who have learned what you're trying to learn. So, you know, lean on those people, not only for answering your questions, but also find out what, you know, what path they took to learn. And you can kind of use that as a model for for paving your own path as well. So agree. I wish I had utilized the community better when I was learning to code, like all the code newbies online and um Dev2 and all those places are so incredible and so motivational for, for newer developers. I didn't know any of this existed until last September. Well, a year and a half ago, almost. Like, I didn't know Twitter existed for devs. I didn't know any of this stuff existed. And so I was just kind of like shooting in the dark. Had no idea what yeah. I was doing. The only people that I was able to somehow maybe learn from were people on Neopets when I was 12 years old. So not really helpful. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. I somewhat talked about this earlier, but want to bring it up again, that practicing a bunch is the best thing that you can do to learn something, um, especially programming. So actually writing code and writing challenging code. So not just following tutorials, not just doing the same thing over and over again. Instead, giving yourself a challenge and looking up the steps to get there is the best thing that you can possibly do. um, Because so much of learning to program is problem solving. And so building up that problem solving skills, that's going to be really, really helpful for you rather than memorizing things. Um, I like to do the analogy of like reading about riding a bike will help you to a certain extent. Like you'll have all the the basis down for what riding a bike feels like, but at some point you just have to ride it to get better. And that's the only way to get better at programming as well is to actually write code. You can write, read as much as you want. You can follow as many tutorials, but you have to actually write the code and do it independently to get better at it. This was me learning how to drive a stick shift. I like watched so many videos and read so many things about it because I was too scared to get in the car and actually try. I was too. That's why I gave up. Still don't know how. I'm like scared of driving. 
That's like my okay, well, it's my primary now. I I that's all I own. At least Allie lives in New York City and she doesn't have to <laughs> drive anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Um, I want to talk a little bit about focus versus diffuse thinking. So, Allie, could you kind of explain the difference between these two concepts? Yes. So I want to give the biggest shout out to the Learning How to Learn course on Coursera. If you're really interested in the science behind learning, I highly recommend watching this course. It's something that I did and really found fascinating and also really, really well done. So something that they talk a lot about is the focus focus and diffuse learning models. So you're probably familiar with focused learning. And focused learning is when you're focused on something, you are maybe drilling yourself, you're practicing writing code, you're reading about it, you're focusing on the learning. But it's also super important to step away from a while for a while and um, not be as focused. And so this is the diffuse learning model. So doing things like taking a walk, taking a shower, not stressing yourself out over things. And that's when your brain is going to make the actual connections between different topics. So they use the analogy of pinball machines. So the diffuse mode is when the new patterns actually emerge and connections are formed. So one of the most important things that you can do while learning is making connections between the different topics that you know. So you know what a for loop is, you know what a function is, but can you put those two things together? Um, Or you know what state is and you know what props are individually within React, but can you use them in the right fashion? Diffuse mode, when you're actually stepping away from code, when you're taking breaks is when a lot of those links in your brain end up forming. And so it's really important to step away and take breaks and take time away from from learning. Good that I'm really good at taking breaks. (laughs) Kelly's a professional break taker. Yeah, I am. (laughs) That's what the tap room does. (laughs) I'm a professional snack eater. We all have our talents. Break consulting. Oh, that's amazing. That is a career that I want to look into. Let me teach you how to take breaks. Okay, so we're going to take our first break. It's going to be great. Um, What about this concept of chunking? It sounds a little gross, but could you please... I was going to say that. I just really do not like oh, the word chunking. I never thought about that. Oh, my goodness. There are now... certain words I really hate. That's one of them. Slice is another. I don't know why. I just like that. <laughs> really? You know, the plastic American cheese, the craft Singles that come individually wrapped? Like, every time I hear the word slice, that's what I think of. And don't get me wrong. I love a good plastic cheese, but, like, it just freaks me out. I hate it. So, anyway, like, don't say the word slice of pizza around me. I will throw up but chunking is another one of those anyway please could you explain to me what chunking is (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny so chunking is to break your learning into concepts and then put those pieces back together so um step-by-step process that dr oakley who does this learning how to learn course suggests is to first survey and prime and so that involves scanning a book or the syllabus of a course to get the general bigger picture so um What's the big idea? Why is this important? What is the high-level basis behind this? And then understand that. And then observe an example, then do it yourself. So um, look at how somebody else did something, then do it in a different context. And so I think it's really, really important when you're learning something new is to not just repeat what you're seeing in a tutorial, but to do it in a different context and to 
try it in a different way. So instead of m- making a tic-tac-toe game, which you followed along with in a tutorial, you're now building a guess who game or something along those lines. So make sure that you're doing it again and again in different contexts. You're not just following tutorials. So this kind of fits into this idea of chunking uh, where you're breaking your learning into different concepts and then practicing it a bunch of times. And then once you've learned that chunk independently, you're building it back together and linking it to the other chunks that you've already learned. So if you once you've learned a uh, for loop in detail, you can put that together with your function and combine them together in order to build more and more things. It's a good explanation. It makes more sense. I still don't like the word chunking. I never thought of it like that until this recording. I am so sad. We just ruined the word for you. I know. It's okay. Like, now I know that I can bother Emma anytime by mentioning the word slice. Now I'm really excited about that. I don't know. I have weird associations with food. Like, the word angry reminds me of spaghetti. I think I was traumatized as a child. Like, I think my dad <laughs> once yelled at me while he was making spaghetti. And so now I just associate the two words. So anyway. Um, no wonder you're always upset with me. <laughs> all I do is eat spaghetti. <laughs> oh, my this gosh. I just realized that. Wow. This is a deep-seated emotional issue. Yeah. You know, I'm glad we had this conversation. So now I know it has nothing to do with me. This is therapy going on right now. Okay. Well, to switch topics, because I am getting anxious, um, let's talk about Bloom's taxonomy. And we're not talking about Orlando Bloom, although I wish we were. Um, What is Bloom? (laughs) What is Bloom's (laughs) taxonomy? I just picture like Orlando Bloom in like a taxidermy office. Um, Oh, God. What? (laughs) Allie, can you explain what Bloom's taxonomy is? Yeah, so Bloom's taxonomy is something that they focus on a lot in education classes. And I think that it's a really, really great hierarchy for learning. So the very first stage of learning is being able to recall basic concepts and facts. So it's memorization, essentially. Um, Your ability to define what something is, you can... um, duplicate something, you can memorize something. Um, So that's kind of the first stage of learning. Um, You're able to recall things. And so honestly, a lot of our education system stays at this level of you can regurgitate the year that something happened, but it's really the lowest level of understanding something. So then the next tier in Bloom's taxonomy is understanding. So the ability to explain ideas or concepts, to describe them, to classify them, to group them, to identify them, to recognize them. So this is the second stage in actually fully learning something is being able to understand it. So first you remember something, then you understand it. Then the third thing is the ability to apply it. So the ability to um, actually use what you're learning in context, to demonstrate it, to interpret it, that's the third stage in learning. So this is when you can actually write code with your piece of programming that you just learned. And then there's analyze, which is your ability to draw a connection among ideas. So maybe your ability to come up with an analogy for something or to link two different things that you've learned together. Um, the ability to compare different things. So is Vue better or React better, Angular better? Like That's this analyze step. 
Then after that is evaluate. And so this is able your ability to justify a standard decision. So you're actually able to justify why you like view over react or whatever. And then you can um, judge and make value-based decisions on the thing that you've learned. And then the final step is create. So your ability to produce new or original work based off of the thing that you learned. So maybe you're able to actually uh, contribute back to the React library. So you're able to contribute to open source or you build a blog post to teach other people how to use it or something along those lines. So the top of the pyramid for understanding is the ability to actually create new things based off of the thing that you learned. And so I think that's really important to remember as an instructor or as just somebody that's learning is that recalling things and remembering things is like the first stage. It's not the end. The ability to actually use that thing and create new things based off of it is where you want to end up. Do you happen to know how long it typically takes to learn a new skill on average? I think it depends for sure on the skill and how big that skill is. That would be like my answer. Surgery. In ato- was that Atomic Habits where it talked about, like, it's not, oh, no, it's in Outliers, which is going to be our first book of next season's book club. They talked Spoilers. about, yeah, the number of hours it takes to become a master at something. So it's not necessarily like time in terms of how many months or whatever. It's time in terms of amount of hours learning and applying these skills. So if you want to learn more about how many hours it takes to become a master at something, listen to our next, not next, but our fourth book club episode, which will be coming out next season. Um, Let's talk a little bit about different mindsets. It seems like there are two main mindsets that someone can have, fixed mindset and growth mindset. All right. So in a fixed mindset, people kind of believe they're basic qualities like intelligence or talent are fixed traits. So essentially that they're kind of like born with it. Um, maybe it's maybe. maybe. <laughs> I, are we going to get copy straight for that? Anyway, um, so in a fixed mindset, people spend their time documenting their intelligence or talent instead of actually developing them. And I feel like these are the – maybe it's not. But I always like envy those people in school who just seem naturally good at everything. And I assumed that I just wasn't born with it. Um, but they also believe that talent creates success. And I feel like – yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't feel like I have a fixed mindset. I feel like I have a growth mindset where people believe that their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and work. So brain and talent is just they're kind of the starting points. Um, and this is the the mindset that actually fosters a sense of like enjoying learning and, and resilience that's really essential for a great accomplishment. So I guess which mindsets do you both have and what is your viewpoint on both of them? I think the growth mindset to me just makes more sense than a fixed mindset. Yeah. So I think the idea is to try and achieve a growth mindset or if you're facilitating learning to um, facilitate a growth mindset in your learners. So this is a concept that Carol Dweck talks a lot about in her book, Mindset. And so she's done studies on this and just getting people to believe that they can learn a new thing and that their abilities can grow is like a huge step in the process. And people who believe that are much more likely to actually succeed in learning that thing than somebody with a fixed mindset who doesn't believe that they can actually learn the thing. So I think we should all strive to have growth mindsets. Absolutely. 
Um, so there are a few different steps. I think we've got not steps, but tips. Uh, let's talk about some tips for learning new information. And I want to start with the first one because I feel like this is what I was trying to say in the intro, uh, but I didn't say it as gracefully. And this tip is to kind of remember that your brain is plastic. That sounds really weird when I say that. Um, what I mean by <laughs> Made this of plastic. is it's neuro- fantastic. <laughs> We're going to so get copyrighted for this. Um, is the concept of neuroplasticity, which essentially means that your brain is capable of creating new relationships between neurons and new synapses are formed. Um, so your brain structure is not fixed. And over time, we can see new relationships actually start to form. So that's tip number one. Kelly, I'm going to throw it over to you. What's tip number two? Yeah, tip number two is appreciate the process over the results. I really like this one. And this is actually something that's touched on in Atomic Habits as well. Um, That if you're so focused on the end goal, you're not going to, like, it's much harder for these things to stick. And so you're going to be learning a whole lot more if you're you're appreciating that, that learning process along the way. I want us to rotate a couple of times and give some pieces of advice for learning. Um, Some of these are going to be coming from Nest Labs, which is an amazing, amazing blog by Anne-Laure LeCumpf. And I may have totally mispronounced her name. I'm so sorry. But she has this really, really incredible blog that has so much about psychology and how we learn and um, productivity. So I highly, highly recommend subscribing to her newsletter. We'll put that in the um, show notes as well as some different blog posts on there that are really, really great. So Kelly, you want to give one of your tips first? Yes. So one of the ones that I, that really stood out to me was appreciate the process over the results. I, I really like this one because it also goes back to uh, Atomic Habits, which we do have an episode on when we when we read that book. Uh, basically, it's, it's, it's about the process. It's not about just the end goal. And if you're worrying so much about that end goal, the, the result at the end, you're not going to be really learning so much along the way. Emma. So my first tip is to kind of just remember that it takes time, but your brain can still continue to form new relationships between information that you learn. So it's this concept, it goes back to this concept of neuroplasticity. So as we get older, neuroplasticity is a little bit harder to achieve, but it still does happen. So just be patient when you're learning and do, you know, just be conscientious that it takes a little bit longer to make these relationships the older you get. Ali, um, you have a couple of tips that you made up. So I'm going to let you state your first one. Yeah. So my first one is when one teaches to learn, which is a quote from Robert Heinlein. And I love that because I've learned so much personally through teaching. And so that would be one of my pieces of advice is to share your knowledge in some way, whether that's blogging or giving conference talks or guest lecturing at a boot camp. Hit me up (laughs) if you want to do that. Um, But teach what you know and synthesize your knowledge in that way. It'll help you really reinforce what you do know. I'll pass it back to Kelly. Yeah. So this one speaks to my, my social work heart. Acknowledging your weaknesses. 
we're not perfect. We're we all have areas where we can absolutely improve and being able to acknowledge where, you know, acknowledge these imperfections uh, it, that gives you an idea of what it is that you should be working on, um, whether it's learning a new skill, like as far as development goes, or just even personal development as well. It, it applies to many facets of your life. Emma, what's your last one? So minus to view criticism as a gift. This is something I had to learn the hard way when I moved to Europe um, because, and I've mentioned this book before, The Culture Map. It discusses how different cultures communicate, but also give negative feedback. And Germany is a direct negative feedback culture, meaning they are very straightforward with their negative feedback. And in the U.S., we're an indirect negative feedback culture, meaning we kind of cushion the blow of a negative feedback with, you know, positive things. Um, So view criticism as a gift. Uh, The criticism you receive, depending upon who it's coming from, might be very direct. It might be indirect, but just try to take it with a grain of salt and kind of see where they're coming from. That was a hard pill for me to swallow. But, um, you know, acknowledging your weaknesses, admitting your weaknesses and working on them is a great skill. All right, Allie, what's your last tip? That's awesome. I want to say to also focus on the things outside of explicit learning. So sleep is important. It's when your brain actually makes connections. And then so is exercise. Exercise helps your neurons stay healthy and survive. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself, not just trying to learn things all the time. You hear that? I guess we do have to exercise after all. No. Um, Let's kind of wrap things up really quickly just by mentioning this concept of the emotional cycle of change. Allie, can you give us an overview of what this is? Yeah. So learning is hard and it's hard, especially as an adult, to feel uncomfortable because we're not used to being in a classroom anymore. We're not used to focusing our lives on learning. And so when we are put in uncomfortable situations, it tends to be really hard. And so there's this emotional cycle of change. The first stage is uninformed optimism. So it's when you're really excited about learning this new thing. It's shiny and exciting. And then there's informed um, pessimism, which is the second stage when you start learning about something and it becomes more difficult Stage three is the valley of despair when you feel like you're never going to learn this new thing and it's really hard and why are you just getting red arrow messages instead of actually being able to write any code that works. And that's the point that a lot of people quit. Um, Unfortunately, that's the part that a lot of people drop off. But if you get past that valley of despair, then you can get to informed optimism, which is when you know how to use the thing um, and can build things with it. And then the final stage is success and fulfillment. So you actually are have a working project. And these things repeat themselves over time, and you have to push through them to get to success. But I think it's really important to remember that learning is cyclical, and it's not going to just be really, really straightforward and easy all the time. You are going to have to push yourself. You are going to need to um, challenge yourself in order to successfully work through this. I feel like my life is a valley of despair. I I love that, that free (laughs) valley of despair. Awesome. No, I'm being facetious. So um, are there any other things about learning? Any last sentiments before we, so before we switch into shout outs? Um, 
just a couple things that I think we've already talked about, but make sure you're practicing over and over again. Um, when you're starting to learn something, your neural pattern is weak, but once you have it down cold, you do the thing more and more and more, it's going to be more permanent. So the more that you learn something, the more that you actively recall it, the more that you come back to the thing, the more permanent it's going to be in your memory. So keep coming back to the things that you're learning. Also connecting concepts is important. So doing things like drawing things out like mind maps or uh, cheat sheets to synthesize what you've learned is really important. And also one that I wish that I had embraced much earlier in my life and my career is allow yourself to fail and take risks. Don't fall to perfectionism. Don't be afraid of learning new things because you're afraid to fail. I always try for myself to always be a newbie at something. So whether that's doing aerial yoga or different types of workout classes or whatever, like make sure that you are actually challenging yourself and um, not just doing the things that you were really good at because that's how you grow. Awesome. With that, I think it's time for shout outs. So Allie, what is your shout out for this week? My shout out is Love is Blind. Have you all been watching this? I have not. Hell yeah. I binge watched that so freaking fast. Yeah. So it's this show on Netflix. I started re-watching it already because it's just that good. It's so trashy in some ways, but it's also very adorable and um, very cute love stories coming out of this show. So highly recommend watching it. It's like The Bachelor, but on steroids with actual drama. Yeah. It's so good. So good. You really like the people, too. I know it takes place in Atlanta, so. Yeah, yeah, so you should go. Wait, really? That's where they captured them? Mm-hmm. You make it sound like they're, like, kidnapped. Well, they were in a pod. <laughs> Not a Tide pod. Like, there's a <laughs> pod. Thank you for specifying. <laughs> I have- Emma, what's yours? So, ironically, I filled out this shout-out, like, weeks and weeks ago, and I wrote down lasagna, because I was going to talk about how good the lasagna I ate for lunch was. Well, not even kidding. I just ate the same lasagna again. And so ironically, my shout out still holds true. I am so thrilled to say I had one of the best store-bought pre-made lasagnas. So shout out to Etika for having amazing lasagna. How about you, Kelly? So mine is, uh, it's called Offline to On. Um, this is something that a group of us have been working on from basically all weekend, it went from an idea to a fully launched website over the weekend, launched on Monday, uh, yesterday. And basically what we're doing is we're letting merchants from all over the world, whether they're brick and mortar retailers or they own restaurants, uh, submit their information and they get matched with uh, somebody in e-commerce around somewhere, usually like location-based where they are and they help them get up and and running online uh, really fast since... Uh, we're, you know, we're all dealing with coronavirus right now. A lot of people are having to shut their doors and we're trying to prevent these, uh, these brick and mortar retailers from having to shut their doors for good. So really, really proud of how, uh, how quickly we were able to get this together. It was very much a a group effort. Um, we're nearing 700 people in our Slack org now for it. And I have over, I probably have over a hundred more people that I still need to add to it. So my goodness, it's, it's awesome. It's so cool. It's, it's platform agnostic. So while I focus on Shopify, there are still more people in there from big commerce and Magento and WooCommerce and, uh, you know, all different e-commerce platforms from around the world. So it's, it's just, it's really exciting. It's more of an, like a full e-commerce thing instead of anything being like platform versus platform. Wow. I'm over here talking about lasagna and Kelly's like, I'm saving the world one, one shop at a time. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. 
I think with that, I think, um, yeah, if you like this episode, tweet about it. We'll select one tweeter to win a Smashing Magazine book each week. Um, we also started a book club. This month's book club book is It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. It's by the creators of Basecamp. So if you're interested in learning more, head over to our site, ladybug.dev slash books. We have a Goodreads group where we like to talk with y'all. So next week is our last episode of season two, and we're really excited to bring it to you. So if you enjoyed this episode about learning how to learn, you should love next week's episode about a web developer learning path. So hopefully we'll see you next week.